This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. On this show, we often look at the news. We need to look at the news. How the news is being reported or misreported is um, a terribly important aspect of modern life. Allegedly, we live in an information age, but uh, whose information? In our second segment today, we're going to take a look back at someone who had a lot to do with how the news gets reported or how radio and television news, at least, um, evolved over the decades. To do this, we're going to go back 600 programs. This is show, I believe, 702. We're going to go back to show number 100, in which time our guest was then Morning Edition host, Bob Edwards. A year or two later, Bob Edwards parted company with National Public Radio. I always thought he did a great job on the air, and he certainly did a great job when he wrote a book. The book in this case was Edward R. Murrow and the Birth of Broadcast Journalism. And if you don't know who Ed Murrow was, you should. And if you listen to our second segment today, you will. And even if you know quite a bit about Ed Murrow, I think it'll still be worth your while, so do stick around. We also expect to hear from our good pal, Mr. Will Durst, America's foremost political comic, as he takes a look back at the top 10 comedy news stories of the past year. By way of forward promotion, we'd like to also note that in the weeks to come, we expect to sit down with St. John Hunt and talk about his parents, a couple of noteworthy spies, E. Howard Hunt, and his father, and his mother, Dorothy Hunt. E. Howard Hunt is best known to history as one of the Watergate burglars. But since we know from the Nixon tapes that the reason there was a Watergate cover-up was the involvement of E. Howard Hunt, well... This is something we need to sit down and talk to his son, St. John, about. There is also the small matter of his deathbed confession of having participated in the JFK assassination that we're going to have to uh, query his son about. His son was the one who, who uh, taped that um, confession, which is widely accepted as having a great deal of truth in it, although the old spy master may have been spinning a bit of a web here even at the very end. That in the weeks to come. Let us begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. Our date today is the 10th of December. It was on December 10th in 1845, and we really need to thank this man for this, that Robert Thompson, a Scottish civil engineer, patented the first pneumatic tire in London. Ever since then, our travel over roads has been quite a bit easier. It was on December 10th in 1864 during the American Civil War that Union General William T. Sherman completed his March to the Sea when he arrived in Savannah, Georgia. Since mid-November, Sherman's army had been sweeping from Atlanta towards Savannah, destroying farms and railroads, burning storehouses, and feeding off the land. And while we don't think of Wyoming as a state on the forefront of civil liberties, we do know that it was on December 10th in 1869 when, motivated by an interest in free publicity and the possibility of attracting more marriageable women to the region, that Wyoming Territory legislators granted women the right to vote. Wyoming thus became the first U.S. territory or state to grant women this fundamental right of citizenship. 
On December 10th, 1953, an American publisher named Hugh Hefner published the first Playboy magazine with an investment of $7,600. There was no date printed on the issue, as Hefner doubted that a second one would ever be printed. It was, and an empire was built from that first effort. And finally, it was on December 10th, 1962, and Mr. Miller, I think you need to cue up the proper music for this. Then English director David Lean's epic film, Lawrence of Arabia, starring Peter O'Toole as British officer T.E. Lawrence, had its premiere in London. It is, in the opinion of this correspondent, one hell of a movie. And by the way, if you've never seen Lawrence of Arabia on the big screen, well, I think, I think that's, that's how you should see it. Watching that on your smartphone should be a felony. Which I do hasten to add that that opinion, like all those heard on this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. Our quote today comes from actor Burt Reynolds, oddly enough. Hollywood's former number one box office draw is now just sort of getting by financially. Causing Reynolds to make the recent comment that uh, it's not the nature of creative people to care about finances. There are a couple of actors, said Burt, who are quite brilliant with the way they've handled their money. But they're not very good actors. Well, Radio Parallax decided to run with that one. Having immediately thought of two of the wealthiest people in Hollywood, Bing Crosby and Bob Hope, and thought, well, you, you could make the case that they weren't great actors. But our review of a website titled Celebrity Net Worth notes that Jack Nicholson's worth $400 million. And so is Johnny Depp. And no matter what you want to say about either man, you can't say they're bad actors. Of course, then again, tied with them is Sylvester Stallone, also worth $400 million. So maybe there is something to what Bird had to say. But uh, no, 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 and I can't say that he's correct because, you know, Anthony Hopkins worth 160 mil. Robert Redford, 170 mil. John Travolta, 170 mil. Bobby De Niro, 200 mil. So, sorry, Bert, you can be a good actor and still hold on to your dough. Of course, we would add that one mistake none of those men made was to marry Lonnie Anderson. All right, our quip of the day comes from St. Augustine. Not necessarily one of history's great quipsters, but a guy who did say, the world is a book, and those who do not travel read only a page. And we like that. All right, for our anecdote of the week for today's program, we have an item that I'm not sure why this is a news story. Turning the clock back to 1972, when Carly Simon's classic You're So Vain was on the charts... It was widely speculated then that the narcissistic individual she was referring to in the lyrics was Warren Beatty. Well, fast forward 43 years, and it turns out Carly Simon now admits that, yes, it was Warren. But um, we do have to give her credit for stringing us along for quite quite a few decades. For his part, Mr. Miller now says that he can, at last, die in peace. Our stat of the day, and this is one of the sadder ones we reported over the past 13 and a half years, but according to YouGov, 40% of Americans would support a national registry for Muslims. 49% of Republicans think it's a good idea. This must be who Donald Trump is playing to when he suggested recently introducing a database for Muslims. And while you're at it, we should be closing or surveilling mosques.
His even nuttier fellow candidate Ben Carson recently compared the mostly Muslim Syrian refugees to rabid dogs. But let's move off that topic. For our good news item of the week, we have this. In September, for the first time since 2009, the NFL went an entire calendar month without any of its players being arrested. Yes, it's good to see him making progress in professional football. And for our joke of the day, we have the writers of Jimmy Fallon to thank for this one. Noted Jimmy, Russia is planning to build a base on the moon where astronauts will live permanently. When asked if they really wanted to spend the rest of their lives in a barren, lifeless landscape, the Russians said, no, that is why we want to go to the moon. I think I need to pause and digress just a moment on this whole anti-Muslim thing to note that there is a rising tide in Congress, spearheaded by Dianne Feinstein, among others, to tighten restrictions on foreign travelers to the United States. Currently, citizens of 38 nations have the necessity of having a visa waived for them. Congress wants to eliminate that. And of course, you know what that means. If you want to travel to any of these other corresponding countries, once we make it tougher on them, they're going to make it tougher on us. We think all in all, this is a really, really bad idea. Of course, some of the things they're talking about, getting chips in the various uh, passports so that there's heightened security, may be sensible, and we hope that that will um, be what they do, not start demanding everybody get visas. All right, let's jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. By the way, we want to thank uh, contributor Elaine, who about uh, oh, 11 or 12 years ago suggested we take a look at The Week magazine because its concise summaries of what was in the news might prove very useful for us. And boy, have they. This is especially true when it comes to the good, bad, and ugly items, which we will prove today by deriving all three from this commendable magazine. According to The Week magazine, it was a good week last week for standing your ground, or that's how we would label it. The story is that a Pennsylvania woman was ordered to pay $600 in damages for throwing rocks at a neighbor's drone. Martina Lordarski said she was merely acting in self-defense when the drone flew across her driveway. It sounded like a weed whacker or something coming at me at eye level, said Lordarski, age 65. It scared me. But a court ruled that the drone did not come near her, so she had no right to engage in anti-aircraft fire. Take the position on this program that if a drone invades your personal space, you have the right to do anything to protect yourself. It was, on the other hand, a bad week last week for the spirit of Christmas, with the news that police raided and shut down a weekly $4 around Mahjong game in Tampa last week, being played by Lee Delnick, Bernice Diamond, Helen Greenspan, and Zelda King. All these ladies are aged between 87 and 95. The cops said the seniors were gambling. Said Zelda King, this is ridiculous. We are being crucified. Which we find to be something of an odd word choice for Zelda King. But it does lead to our third item, which is that it was an ugly week last week for the spirit of Christmas. 
with the news that an Alabama state legislator has warned constituents against shopping at stores owned by non-Christians. Republican Representative Alan Harper said most of the local convenience stores were not owned by God-fearing Christians and that they used their profits to create death and destruction in the world. Boy, think about that next time you're standing in front of the Slurpee machine. Harper then concluded with, Merry Christmas, may God bless. And speaking of Christian horses' asses, a few days ago, Jerry Falwell Jr., and yes, I too was sad to learn that there is someone out there named Jerry Falwell Jr., said at the university created by his father, who we're pretty sure is now burning in hell. At any rate, said Jerry Falwell Jr. at a Liberty University's convocation service, if more good people had concealed carry permits, then we could end those Muslims before they walked in and killed them. He then encouraged students to enroll in the university's gratis gun certification course and said he was carrying a weapon in my back pocket right now. He then concluded by saying, let's teach them a lesson if they ever show up here. We assume and we hope that when he said that he meant armed individuals intent on mayhem. All right, let's take a moment and do some potpourri items out of the grab bag. We don't literally have a grab bag, of course. But if you could see the amount of paperwork laying before me right now, you'd maybe wish that I had a bag. I do. At any rate, from the potpourri file, we have this. Poland's new government has approved a program of family bonuses that is intended to reverse the declining birth rate. The government of Prime Minister Beata Zydlo on Tuesday approved a program under which families would get monthly bonuses of $124 for every child beyond the first. We didn't mean to comment on China's reversal of its one-child policy, but we're not going to do that today. But since when you look across the planet and you observe that every place people are, the environment is being destroyed, you have to ask, at what point are we going to wake up and institute some meaningful population control? And the answer to that appears to be never, because the only, the only government that did take a significant action on this, the Chinese, are now backing away from it. Here's a disturbing item. Yours truly was watching RT, which is a television channel sponsored by the Russian government. What's disturbing about it is, although there's a clear pro-Russian government bias, it hits you between the eyes, most of what they report on in the rest of the world is probably being reported upon more accurately than the major news outlets here in the U.S. you got to be disturbed. Now, no, I didn't bring a bunch of examples to cite on this, and I guess I should in the future, but on, on the Syria question anyway, they seem to be taking the viewpoint that, um, well, <laughs> do you want to win this thing or you want to screw around? Of course, one theory in the U.S. is that maybe we're, we're not being able to take proper actions because we keep mixing up ISIS and ISIL. But uh, here's an item I, I cut out last June to talk about, never got to. June 5th. 2015, the U.S.-led air opposition against the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria cost American taxpayers more than $2.1 billion as of early April, or about $8.6 million per day, according to the Pentagon. Allied warplanes have carried out more than 4,050 attacks in Iraq and Syria. This again raises the question of how effective air warfare really is. I don't have an answer to that question, but uh, it should be asked. Speaking of the so-called war on terror, how about this one? Now it turns out that a Yemeni inmate held in Guantanamo for 13 years, well, he was a victim of mistaken identity. The Defense Department said this week that Mustafa Abd al-Kawi Abd al-Aziz al-Shamiri, 
captured in Afghanistan in 2002, was a low-level militant fighting for the Taliban, not the al-Qaeda courier and trainer he was purported to be. Officials explained that Shamiri had been confused with someone else who had a similar name. Easy mistake to make. Oh, Mustafa Abd al-Kawi Abd al-Aziz al-Shamiri. We're sorry, we had you confused with Malik Abd al-Kawi Abd al-Aziz al-Shamiri. Jeez, we just can't tell you how sorry we are. And they're apparently conducting an election down in Haiti. There's going to be a presidential runoff on December 27th. Apparently an alliance of eight candidates, including Jude Celestine, who finished second in the October 25th first-run elections, are alleging massive fraud by Jovenel Moise, the government-backed candidate who finished in first place. Apparently a spokesperson for the Conference of Haitian Pastors said the government's decision to publish the first-round results despite fraud allegations was, quote, a plot to topple the country into utter anarchy, unquote. To which we have to note with sadness, that's not a very long distance to topple. All right, we made passing mention a week or two ago, I believe, about the Bill McKibben piece about what Exxon knew, certainly by the mid-'80s. It's a lengthy piece. We don't have time to uh, read a great deal of it, but I think you should check it out, dear listener. In reference to this particular news item, the New York Times, under Justin Gillis and Clifford Krauss, said that ExxonMobil does have some explaining to do. The oil giant is being investigated by the New York Attorney General over whether it lied to its investors and the public about the risks of climate change. For decades, ExxonMobil allegedly poured money into outside groups dedicated to undermining the scientific case for climate change, even as the company's own scientists warned Exxon's executives about the potential environmental consequences of burning fossil fuels. Some legal experts are already comparing the inquiry to the multi-billion dollar lawsuits brought against big tobacco for fudging the health impact of smoking. Depending upon what the investigation finds, we may soon see a legal assault on fossil fuel companies. Of course, we love the business perspective on this. Uh, writing in BloombergView.com, Matt Levine said, Lying to the public is the American way. It's also perfectly legal. Lying to investors, on the other hand, is what we call fraud. And that's where Exxon could be in trouble. Is this guy a jerk or what? He goes on. Misleading the public about science and policy are everyday parts of our great democracy. But deceptions about science's possible effect on your stock price risks a securities fraud investigation, especially in New York State, where the Attorney General has broad powers to prosecute financial fraud. He does note there's a distinct limit to any company's claim to free speech. Corporations are people, perhaps, but they're not quite as free as you might have thought. Well, let's hope. All right, it's the end of the year. Let's 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 hear what our good pal Mr. Will Durst has to say about uh, 2015, shall we? Hey guys, Will Durst here with your eagerly awaited top 10 comedic news stories of 2015, which under no circumstances are to be confused with the top 10 legitimate news stories of 2015. No, 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 no. They are as different as fireworks and 14-inch aluminum pipe wrenches, yellow grape tomatoes, and marble Corinthian columns, feet and skeet. A lot less death and destruction on this list. 
So rest assured that the 16th year of the new millennium held quite a few events, lending themselves to the tickling amusement of we, the American masses, and these are they. Number 10. The hacking of the Ashley Madison website, forcing Bill Clinton to spend the last four months trying to scrub his name off the client list. Number 9. Douglas Hughes, the gyrocopter guy who landed on the grounds of the U.S. Capitol to publicize campaign finance reform, but ended up being poster boy for national security reform. Number 8. Rachel Dolezal, the Caucasian head of the NAACP, who claimed to be black, but was exposed when investigators found a Justin Bieber poster on her office wall. Number 7. Faulty airbags. When first hearing of this scandal, many folks leapt to the conclusion that the feds were going to recall Mitch McConnell. Number 6. Kim Davis, the Kentucky County clerk who apparently was told by God not only to deny gay couples marriage certificates, but also to get divorced three times. Number 5. Caitlyn Jenner, who finally succumbed to the extreme levels of estrogen in the Kardashian household. Number 4. The Benghazi hearings, where Republicans demonstrated their test for Hillary, is, if she doesn't float, she's not a witch. Number three, the Republican presidential debates, which witnessed a fight over the party's very soul. The soul lost. Number two, Deflategate, precipitated by Tom Brady's belief that the ball was way too heavy with all that air in it. And the top comedic news story of 2015, the force of nature, that is Donald Trump, the candidate for every voter who just couldn't cozy up to the intellectual elitism of Sarah Palin. For Radio Parallax, I'm Will Dennis. All right, sometime before we end our run here on KDVS, we need to sit down and actually have a proper, you know, 20, 30-minute interview with Will Durst because, wow, he's done some great work for many a decade. All right, Mr. Millen tells me we've got about a minute to go here before taking a break, so uh, let's pull a science item from New Scientist magazine. I suspect this may have happened to you, dear listener. A reader wrote in and asked the magazine... When I open my car windows while driving, everyone inside can hear a helicopter-like thumping sound. It's even worse when the rear window is open and it gets louder at high speeds. What causes this? Answering this question was Mike Follows, who said, An open sunroof or window essentially acts as an acoustics phenomenon known as the Helmholtz resonator. A term I admit I was not familiar with. But said Mr. Follows, the most common example of this is the sound created when you blow across the top of an empty bottle. The pressure inside the car resonates according to the cross-section of the opening, the speed of the air over it, and the volume of the cavity inside. These changes in pressure are perceived as a drumming sound. So I guess that's a good way to think about it. You're inside the beer bottle and someone's blowing over the top. We could attempt more detailed physics on this, but I think that'll do just fine. Thank you. All right, let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. We'll come back and talk about the legendary Edward R. Murrow. And for our bumper music, let's see if we can't go out with uh, the tune that now officially puts Warren Beatty in his place. And high time we did.
song is 